Yeah, well, I'd say that that Spellstorm Miniatures has definitely become a group of friends to us yes. at this point. All right, welcome back to another exciting episode of Spellstorm Miniatures. Uh, my name is Jeremiah, and today I'm running this episode solo. Uh, Chad and Dan aren't able to join us today, but I do have with us Amanda and Sean from Adventures in Painting. Say hello to our listeners. Hello. Hello. That's uh, Amanda. Yeah. And this is Sean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I'm very excited to have you folks on. We've talked for a while about having you on our podcast and you know just about every week we hang out for the paint party on the discord and we talk about all kinds of things and we get you know and we and we obviously we get work done um but today i just want to focus a little bit more of the spotlight on you and what you two are doing in the community uh i want to remind our listeners that uh this month is uh, uh women's history month and so our Earlier this month, we had Judy on as a guest. Uh, today, we have Amanda on as um, part of this episode. And so um, it's exciting to be able to um, just include um, more uh, practitioners and hobbyists uh, and uh, more voices in, in what we do. So uh, so thank you uh, from all of us for, for being on today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I want to start. Um, obviously, you have adventures in painting, and we're going to get there. I'm going to give you an opportunity to plug that. Um, but I want to start just by getting to know you a little bit more, both of you. And so, would each of you sort of give us uh, just kind of the the history of how you got into gaming? Kind of what were your first few loves, your first few influences, and then and then kind of bring us up to where we are today. So, either one of you can start. Well, let's see. Before Sean, before I met Sean, and mm-hmm. yes, we are married, um, I got into gaming. I'd, I'd had a few experiences with gaming in the past. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a sprinkle of video gaming here, a little sprinkle of board gaming there. Uh, I was exposed to Magic the Gathering, but, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> and when I met Sean, we started playing more and more board games. Mm-hmm. That eventually led to me, you know, looking at these gray, these gray bits of plastic on the table and just kind of going, oh, these would look so much better if they were painted. <laughs> and that kind of snowballed into what is now Adventures in Painting. Yeah, I guess that's a great way to to start talking about it. That, um, as someone who's been a long time board gamer and just mm-hmm. gamer in general, um, since at least, you know, when uh, I I got a box of Dominion and Race from the Galaxy from my brother, and uh, that evolved quickly into games like Battlestar Galactica and um, all the great FFG titles to Euro games and, um, and then eventually into war games a little more recently. Um, I entered the marriage with my hobby and um, it's interesting to get a con uh, a a perspective that isn't another gamer's perspective uh, when it comes to the games you play. 
I, as a board gamer who played a lot of uh, Fantasy Flight titles, was used to unpainted gray plastic. Um, but my wife was not. Um, so when she saw it, she kind of balked uh, <laughs> and she said, we need to paint this. Um, and to me, it was just, it was kind of revelation of realizing it was like, oh, right, yeah, there are all this, this is a lot of gray um, on the table. It's kind of boring to look at. Um, so she brought color to my life. Um, oh, that's poetic yeah, and beautiful. So like that, that's how I got into painting. Um, well, that's when I really started getting into painting. A long time ago, I I did some games workshop painting, um, yeah. and uh, I I started with some little uh, uh, Gondor figures from the old uh, second edition Middle Middle Earth line, right? Nice, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a really old one at this point, I guess. But back when yeah. the um, the pots came in, like the uh, Games Workshop pots came in the sort of um, glass and black and black top ones, right? Mm. And um, but I didn't really believe that I could paint uh, as like a sincere and uh, a dedicated amateur until I met my wife. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, I guess I kind of gave you that confidence to <laughs> play with stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I wondered a little bit about, yeah, I wondered a little bit about your history. Um, a lot of folks, you know, um, have some kind of run in with Game Shop Workshop along the way or mm -hmm. Magic the Gathering or Dungeons and Dragons, right? Those are the yeah. sort of like the big three that are out there that most people have some sort of run in with. And it looks like both of you ran into both of them. So, or two of the three at least. So um, it's interesting that when, when we game, like neither of us were what you'd call, we still aren't really outgoing or, or gregarious personalities. No, you more, you are more so than I am. Uh, not by a whole <laughs> lot though. <laughs> So, like, it's interesting how painting was a touchstone for both of us as introverts, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, because yeah, instead of, you know, going out to bars, you know, at the time, we at the, when we started, we were both so broke that we're like, this is all we can afford to do. And, yeah, and, and we yeah. used, uh, like, what Vallejo paints we could scrap, scrape together. Mm -hmm. um, we did it, a lot of mixing back then. But it's interesting right. how like painting for us was our entry as people who didn't grow up with Games Workshop, except for, in my case, like reading a lot of the novels. Like mm -hmm. I, I read the novels, God's Ghost and stuff like that, but I was never part of that group that would uh, get together and play war games. Yeah, I, mm. I didn't have any war gaming experience before meeting Sean. Like my first introduction to war gaming was with um, Warcry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's a relatively new game. Yeah, um, that's a relatively new game, though. It we, is. We were doing a lot of stuff like um, New Angeles and, and a lot of heavier board games before then. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's like, it's an interesting um, entry into the hobby, definitely, mm -hmm. and not yeah. one that a lot of people grew up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of the folks that, you know, um, participate with the Spellstorm community, like on the Discord or whatever, a lot of us have a wide interest in games. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, like, for example, you know, I'm a miniature war gamer. I'm also mm -hmm. part of a D&D &D group that meets twice a month. And, and before COVID, 
we used to get together with a group of friends to do um, a nightly a game night, a board game night specifically. And we would just, and it was a lot of fun. It was a potluck. Usually we, you know, share meals and that sort of thing. And, and there was a lot of overlap. There's a lot of folks who were yeah. like, like there's a, like a couple guys that are in my D and D group are also guys that we're game with are also in the board game group kind of thing. Yeah. But then, but then there are a lot of folks who are exclusively um, one or two out of the three and not all three. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as you guys have, uh, gone deeper into the hobby and what sort of similarities and and what 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 sort of things have you uh, found about war game that you appreciate what sort of uh, what things about war games um, you haven't quite grasped yet or maybe kind of push hold you at bay from really diving in deeper because um, a lot of us war gamers would look at warcry and call it a, a a light war game you know what I mean mm -hmm. yeah so, yeah yeah and and I I, we've played heavier war games since mm -hmm. then. Yeah. Um, like, uh, and and I think I've always been sort of familiar with war gaming and its history just because uh, uh, I was heavily plugged into Board Game Geek and stuff like that, which includes war games. So I'm aware, yeah. for example, of the campaign for North Africa, the infamous sort of multi-hour <laughs> roll dice to see how much pasta your Italian troops get um yep. games the chits encounters games um i was around for when war machine was really still is pretty popular in in, in our area relative to the last, rest of the country but when it was at its height um yeah. but yeah i i think that the similarities i see between all these different genres are um more settling into what what works and what doesn't what generally uh, holds together is an accessible experience and what doesn't. Okay. Um, a lot of you want the- want flesh into that? Yeah, flesh yeah. That so yeah. like, for example, I'd say that that um, my wife's experience with mm -hmm. Warcry versus Kill Team is a great example of how like um, war games and board games have kind of evolved. Yeah, so um, one thing for me that was kind of, that kind of made it a little difficult for me to like fully get into kill team was that the rules are a lot clunkier quote unquote than they are in warcry i feel like warcry is a little more streamlined you know instead of having yeah. to make you know 60 rolls i'm making one roll well right. it's war kill team is more of a traditional war game that has kind of like the die and chart system mm -hmm. right you roll dice and then you immediately go to consult a chart, which uh, basically at any point where you have to keep track of row and column, um, I call that pretty much a chart game. Um, so Wings of, of Glory and like uh, X-Wing and stuff like that, on the other hand, is blurring that line between board gaming, which um, relies more heavily on iconography, accessibility, um, a certain gameplay loop, uh and streamlining stuff for for what's considered the the optimum experience um then something like kill team so warcry you have one roll to hit and stuff like that and kill team you have three uh wound hit save right which uh is more of a traditional uh wargaming approach 
But okay. I do think that wargaming informs board gaming in that um, in terms of production and verisimilitude and feeling present in the actual game. Um, so what you'll see in a lot more board games nowadays is scenery, terrain, uh, not just the sculpted miniatures, but that sense of space. Um, so games like Gotham City Chronicles or, uh, or even stuff like Blood Rage, um, where you get this idea that it's not just about the, uh, um, the rules, it's also about immersion, right? And Wargaming has uh, done a great job with immersion and um, transforming the idea of like what games can be right between different uh different rule sets right i want to go back to that idea of iconography mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the things that's very interesting to me um like for example um a lot of more complex games tend to be keyword driven like mm -hmm. there would be a term and that term represents this this thing happening or this specific scenario like this thing ha happens based on this rule right mm -hmm. and we're running into that with magic as my boys and i've been playing commander and this thing does this and oh okay I didn't know <laughs> um, but one of the things that i really like about warcry specifically is when you get the card pack for well i don't have the new book yet i just have the old card pack for my for my war band yeah, yeah. there's no words yeah it's just a picture it's like, completely language independent Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I found that brilliant. Well, that's actually brilliant. something in board games that's been uh, a a huge trend. As as far as far back as like I mentioned, Race for the Galaxy being one of my first what I call serious board games. Yeah. Um, Race for the Galaxy is almost entirely communicated through symbols. In fact, arguably too many symbols. Mm -hmm. um, the oh, game got. Uh, <laughs> The game got a lot of uh, uh, discussion at the time for like uh, being inscrutable and difficult to teach because all of the symbols um, were just hard to communicate to new players. Mm -hmm. But what they found is the more you played is a relatively short game, like 25 to 40 minutes, okay. right? Then you could look at a card and immediately infer what was going on and the game would actually speed up significantly. Like, so you could get an experienced game of Race for the Galaxy, which at first would take 42 minutes to an hour into about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and I think that really brought into stark relief the idea of depth versus complexity and the mm -hmm. way people process information. Um, that, that iconography can in many ways uh, bridge the gap between short-term and long-term memory um, mm. and stuff like that that makes games accessible and easier to play. Um, so I, I have two questions for you now. Yeah. Uh, one question that's burning is, have you heard of Raph Koster? No, I have mm -hmm. not. Okay. You need to put this on your, on your reading list. The name of the book is A Theory of Fun for Game Design. Mm -hmm. And... It's RAF, which is R-A-P-H, and Koster, K-O-S-T-E-R. It's one of my most favorite books of all time. Mm -hmm. I read it every other year, it seems like now. Um, but he goes into what you just talked about was uh, 
was the the learning that takes place in games. Mm-hmm. His whole book is about that, and and he goes into brain theory and and like all kinds of stuff, and it's mm-hmm. it's brilliantly designed because on the left hand side is text, and on the right hand side is some sort of comic that he drew, mm-hmm. that helps to illustrate the text that he was writing about. Yeah, yeah. And so for like a you know 150 page book, you only reaches you're only reading 75 pages. Yeah. But but like it's but it's so good. And he updated it. The 10th anniversary edition has additional research. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really leans into what you just talked about. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because uh, Amanda's a psychology major. Mm-hmm. Well, I was. Or she was. She's, she's, she's planning on going back to finish it. But Great. my dad was actually uh taught system science like he was a, an MBA and he, he he sort of put a um, made a company around this called ICAP biz which talked about the way people process information right mm-hmm. um, yeah. so it's in- interesting that I kind of took that into learning about games as well mm-hmm. and I actually read something recently by uh, from Eric Lang who, who made Chaos in the Old World, Blood Rage, Rising Sun, who makes a lot of the stuff that goes on Cool Mini or Not Kickstarters these days. Yep. He made, yeah. most recently, I think... Uh, Bloodborne, the board game, which is uh, probably the best adaptation of a video game to board game I've ever seen. Huh. Um, but he said that gaming is not necessarily an art or a science, but it's a combination of philosophy and... Um, it's really a philosophy and way of living in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. That game, I like that game theory is an extension of the way we process information and enter situations at all, yeah. right? So yeah. the real complexity or the real depth at a heart of a board heart of a board game or war game or any game really is comes from people's the the complexity of people's relationships with each other not really the components and the stuff like that which is also just tools to provoke those kinds of reactions and relationships right mm. i i don't know that sounds like a lot of, of word salad now that i'm thinking about it but uh well, okay so immediately what what came to my mind was the whole concept in in the before times of of showing up to a game store with your game, whatever game it is, and asking a perfect stranger to play your game with you. Yeah, which yeah. is the play testers litmus test, right? Right. <laughs> well, you have yeah, there's a whole series of of I don't know what to call them, but like of just decision points of yes. who who you ask and where you're going to sit and what side of the table and and like yeah. and like and 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 you end up and you have to agree on so much in order to make this one experience happen. And then, you know, and then, if, and then if like, if there's some disagreement along the way, how does the disagreement get resolved? Yeah. And I mean, that's, this is, this is exactly what's happening. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And, and people are, what games really do is they slow down those interactions and yeah. examine them. People examine them in detail in, in very sharp crystal crystalline detail. Um, so like we were talking about, uh, uh, Amanda was actually did a lot of her her site courses on stuff like cults and and things like that. And for example, the, the Stanford experience. Experiment. Yes, the Stanford prison experiment. 
And we we hit upon the idea is like basically it's the examination of game theory, really, and you, mm. when you get down to it, um, that these intellectual games that people play with each other yeah. are um, are a way of examining our relationships when they don't they aren't going on autopilot, right? So for a game of secret, uh, well, let's maybe maybe. Secret Hitler isn't isn't the the best example to bring up on a family friendly show. Um, well, <laughs> maybe I don't know. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have played it. Uh, but Secret Hitler is a game where you kind of um, you embed one person who who's supposed to be the dictator, and then a group of sympathizers, and people go around voting and enacting policies that are either to one group or the other. Um, and one group is secretly trying to put in power their one dictator figure that's determined by cards at the beginning of the game. Um, but the creators of the game said that they were trying to model how people process power, right? Mm. And divide power between them and stuff like that. All of which we enacted on a world stage countless times. Right. But gaming is is really an instinctual thing. Everybody participates in it on one level. So when we're talking about accessibility and the rules of the game, you're really just leading people to, um, the, the rules are just a vehicle to lead people to those situations where they rethink the way they approach people. Yeah. Uh, right. So the complexity rules, which um, I think that both wargaming and board gaming at their worst often confuse complexity with depth. Um, the rules are only as complex as they need need to be in order to get people to get that aha moment where they examine what they do every day. Um, so that's kind of what that Eric Lang quote meant to me of just like gaming is a philosophy, not just and a way of life, not just yeah. um, art or science. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I've learned a lot about myself through gaming. Mm -hmm. so. and about other people, really. And, yeah. And other people, true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My son, um, my my oldest son, uh, there's a talking head that he likes to listen to and read his books about. And he talks about um, the different mirrors that exist. And, um, and like, one is like, you know, like the physical mirror that where you actually see yourself. And, mm -hmm. I, I can never remember what the second mirror is, um, <laughs> but the third mirror is your writing. And so, yeah. so like people who like journal and stuff like that, um, as a gamer, I secretly want to add a fourth mirror and yeah, and playing games. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, but, well, there, there is actually an interesting argument as to whether or not, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and curtail it a little bit because this could go on forever. We could be talking about around eight mirrors by the end of this <laughs> thoughts. So, um, yeah, just I, I think that's a, a great way to put it is just that um, games are, are kind of the fourth layer of human experience, mm -hmm. yeah. which is why you see animals playing them. Um, mm -hmm. right? yeah. yep. And it's yeah. not like you know, gaming's a relatively new thing. No. Yeah. Though yeah. I think that one of the new things that we're happening upon as a culture, a gaming culture now is cross pollination of board games and, um, and war games and video games and blending all of these things together. Um, 
So stuff like we were talking about Warcry, right? Right. Warcry is a very when I was introduced to it as someone who's a who's been accepted as into a board game community, but not into a war game community up to that point. I just realized like Warcry plays quite a bit like a board game, right? Yeah. Um, so stuff like uh, uh, Leviathans, where it's sort of a closed box experience, right? Um, where you don't have supplementary long amount, large amounts of supplementary and tip material added to to sort of make the the, the game tick. Um, you don't consult a lot of charts. It's a very very much a uh, sort of contained experience. That's a very yeah. board gaming approach to war gaming, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's stuff like Mansions of Madness, which uses apps, right, as part of the game. The apps provide the dungeon master experience, mm -hmm. and that's a blending of board gaming and video gaming, right? Yeah. Um, so what I think we're seeing is this great emergence of, of game genres trying each other's tricks. Yep, and we're seeing the introduction of technology in that as well. Yeah. yeah. I like that genre trying each other's tricks. That's a that's a tagline that's worth holding on to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think in I think in both all the genres there there would be the, the you know the proverbial grognard who mm -hmm. you know who don't like certain things. Like for example, you know we talked about iconography earlier. One of the grognardy perspectives on war games is proprietary dice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're like. No, just give me a regular G six, and where you know a game designer is trying to bring out something, you know, a new element to their game, and so they design proprietary dice to to perform that function. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad right away. You don't, I don't think we should write it off right away. So, well, yeah, because one of the things that dice do is um, the most basic thing that proprietary dice do is that they modify the odds of the game, right? Right. So uh, the percentage odds of anything in the game happening. But more importantly, uh, they cut down on the amount of intellectual load that a player has to undergo in order to learn and play the game at a high level. Yeah. Right? So I don't know if you know, like, one of the golden rules of uh, user interfaces is, like, as few clicks to do anything as possible. Right. Right. I don't know if that's a golden rule, but as a consumer, I like yeah. simple websites. Well, it is generally <laughs> a rule that if you're designing a user interface, it's like as few clicks as possible to do what you need to do. Yeah. Um, proprietary dice can do that, right? So instead of yeah. looking at the dice result of a four and then having to consult a chart to see what it could possibly mean, um, the context is loaded right into the dice, Yeah. right? Right. And then that shortcuts that for you. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I mean, uh, your experiences with Warcry versus Kill Team, mm -hmm. sweetie, right, have kind of been like that. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. I think um, one of the things, uh, I want to transition maybe a little bit and get more into your guys' story a little bit. Um, it's... Uh, not all of us are married to someone who shares our same interest. Yeah. Like, like for me, you know, when I have a paint night, my wife is usually crocheting or something. 
uh-huh. you know, yeah. or or she makes cards. You know, she does uh, uh, what's that scrapbooking, I guess. You know, and so we can sit at the same table and we take up both our own half half of the table and do our own thing. But what's it like for you guys as you share space, share tools, share ideas? What's that like? <laughs> well, I mean, it's our, this, the whole painting thing has kind of gone from one tiny little rickety table in the living room to now we have an entire study with two separate desks where we can each work and we can bounce ideas off of each other. So I think really the, the only thing that drives me crazy is like when I have certain paints and, or when yeah. I'm sitting at my normal desk and Sean will be like, can you pass me X paint like every five minutes? It's like, <laughs> no, get up and get it yourself. Oh yeah. It, it's kind of like uh, you get we, the, the we, office cubicle syndrome. Yeah. Of like, we, we drive each other crazy in a good way. But at the same time, we get those moments where we're really excited to show somebody something and, and it keeps us going at those times when we really want to quit, mm-hmm. really, to be able to yeah. look over and see at least one person who has the mm-hmm. same skill level as us, who um, is interested in what we're doing. Um, basically, we, we're our first audience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And a sympathetic audience and a constructive audience and a knowledgeable audience. And mm-hmm. that is hard to find anywhere, mm-hmm. um, much less to be blessed with as a spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I'm not going to lie. Running a business is hard. <laughs> <laughs> we're, this is, we're not, but, we're not but, 100% great at it. No, know? we're, we're still like stumbling through it. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've gotten advice and a lot of help. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been supported by friends and family. Um, but this really started as me working at a game store and painting up a war cry display for the store yep that was our very first commission actually yeah because before that like uh i was working as a medical scribe and i worked miserable hours of like one to ten for 10 25 an hour Mm -hmm. um so like next to no money and when i got home i just needed something to do so i painted um and i'd often paint with my insomnia into like the wee hours in the morning. Yep. And I was working graveyards at the time. So that kind (laughs) of provided the perfect opportunity for me to actually like play around with colors and things like that. Because I I try to stay up with you. Yeah. Yeah. You would try to stay up with me. (laughs) And I, I work my old shift. I still work there. Uh, I used to work from 11 o'clock at night to seven in the morning. Yeah, and, that's rough. Yeah. You know, to do my entire job would take about three, maximum four hours. So, so I had, yeah. I had like half of my shift to just kind of sit there and do nothing, <laughs> or I okay. could do something creative with it. And me, being the puppy dog I am, I followed her. Uh, tried to stay up as late as I could. Um, and tried to paint with her mm-hmm. like we were in the same room together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that sounds small scene saccharine, but it's true. I was silly <laughs> enough to do it. Yep. Um, and we had so much to paint, like Zulkin, uh, New Angeles, Mansions. Like Dan, Mansions of Madness, all of Mansions of Madness. 
Desert yeah. Wasteland Express, like all these games I'd gotten over the years with unpainted miniatures. We had lots to practice. Um, yeah. To the point where I think our New Angeles box is probably really ugly because we we pretty much used it to try out every paint line we could imagine on it. Mm -hmm. So it looks completely incongruous at this point. Yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not even sure it looks good at all. I don't think it does. <laughs> but, so, it, it, it's got a mesh of a lot of early stuff where we yeah. weren't quite very good at it and then a lot of newer stuff. <laughs> okay. And, I think that that's one of the biggest pieces of advice uh, I, I have from that time period to give to anybody who's trying to paint is that it's really a ca case of like iterate, 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 iterate. Just keep painting. Like if you, you have something that you didn't do well on one mini, apply it to the next one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I read in, in, a, in a book by Malcolm Gladwell that, that 10,000 hours is like the mark of mastery we had gotten to the point where we were painting probably every minute we were not using the work we were painting mm -hmm. um, uh, late, late, late into the night. And that idea of just like keep painting and move on to the next one was way more satisfying than me trying endlessly to paint one figure, mm -hmm. right? So if that's any advice I can give from that time, it's just, just keep painting and keep moving forward. Because mm -hmm. uh, if you slow down, you'll be frustrated. But if you look back on like this amount of painted plastic um, and you can see the journey you've taken from one mini to the next, um, it can be super satisfying. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. So, ad so Adventures in Painting, when did you decide that you would strike out on your own and make it a business? So it would, I would have to say it happened right after we finished up that very, that very first war cry commission. Because, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, I would, we would hear people come into the store and compliment how good the minis looked yeah. and how impressive it was that, you know, we got them all painted. And yeah. we were like, we could do this. Yeah, I, I think that we just decided, oh, we'll do it on the side to pick up some spare cash. <laughs> yeah, that's initially kind of how it started out. So we made the Facebook page and then we and then I got the idea. Well, let's let's teach people to paint. Yeah, let's let's, yeah. let's do some paint nights and have people, you know, bring a mini or buy a mini because we Sean was still working at the store at this time. And we can I and they can either paint it themselves or we can give them tips to paint yeah that's that's where it started is kind of uh, an extension of my my working at a game store which um the game store was having some financial difficulties at the time so i was just kind of um the whole team was putting together anything they could to um try and try and pick up pick up business mm -hmm. And one of the ones that stuck was paint night. Mm -hmm. yep. And I think that with the combination of that and our, and the job we had and stuff like that made us realize is that um, not only could we actually sell this, I'm not saying we're the most amazing painters in the world, but that we really could paint longer and with more persistence than most people because we just enjoyed each other's company so much 
Um, yep. So like we're, yeah, the, the point at which we decided to turn it to a business was really just a case of saying, all right, we'll sell this one and then we'll move on to the next one. And it just grew slowly bigger and bigger and bigger. One yeah. commission just to pick up a little spare cash of like, what was it? Um, it was painting Penny Arcade Acquisitions Incorporated. Yep. Just some minis because we had some people who were board gamers and they were like, we don't know how to paint. And, and we, we don't have the time to paint. We don't yeah. want to put forth the effort to paint. Therefore, I'll just pay you to paint. Yeah, they gave it yeah. to us. And then we went from there to like terraforming Mars minis. And then we went to an entire commission of Blood Rage, right? This is yeah. 50 plus minis. Yeah, after getting into the, I think it's it's a Portland, Vancouver area board game group on Facebook. Yeah. Or we're just like, hey, we're some minis painters. Yeah. And we were charging, and we still kind of charge pretty pretty low low <laughs> prices because we were just like yeah we'll do this as a, a side thing we can always pick up the money we just gotten married pretty recently we At wanted that point, yeah. we wanted to save up for for a house and a nest mm -hmm. egg yep. so we're like oh we'll we'll do this on a spare time and it just the commissions got bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger um yeah. and then we were doing max and minions in gloomhaven and then we re looked up and realized we had about like a year worth of backlog to get through <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So, so you kept yeah. saying yes, and and even though you were completing them, more projects just kept coming. Yeah. 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 And I think that we just went like, oh, I think people find this valuable enough to pay for. I guess we can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Sean's kind of been doing it full time for a little over a year now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Amanda is a... And I'm still a DSP, I, except I got moved to, to Swing Shift. Uh, yeah, yeah. So now I actually get to, get to talk to my clients. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, and I know that for me personally, I'd always had issues. For me, this, is, this has been like the perfect job mm -hmm. in many ways. Because like, even though um, it's a lot of work, being able to see like to to actually look at what you've you've done over the course of a day is fantastic and if you're yeah. like me who who is kind of anxiety around people and i think mm -hmm. my wife does as well mm -hmm. um being able to 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 give them joy like this through something you made <clears throat> is so special yeah really it is yeah, yeah. and it's always fun to to see the the customer like post it or post pictures playing. of our stuff on Facebook oh, and say how much they love it. That's the best. <clears throat> it, for us, we're we're a little anxious people. We've just we have our own history, but we, right. we like people and we like making them happy. But we're also scared of people. Yes, right. And this right. is the perfect outlet to be able to hand some is like, all right, we like you, but we'll we'll be over here. We'll watch you play with them. <laughs> and enjoy vicariously through you uh -huh. um it's been great for us yeah and you always well, get a sense of accomplishment every time you finish a commission yeah yeah so like you know finishing up mechs versus minions it was like whew, <laughs> okay i can breathe now so mechs versus minions is a, a game based on the riot games league of legends right um it is uh so it's got 101 
little minion figures, the 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 guys that you see in the video game, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then ten or so odd uh, pre-painted minis. Uh, I think there's like five actually. Yeah, I, I think that we we decided, oh well, this is good enough to actually sell when we looked at pre-painted stuff and we saw what people were getting otherwise right yeah no offense to the pre-painted jobs like or anything like that but they work on the time and budget they're given right, right. right. which isn't much um so like we i think that people value their games and their experiences more than uh, a pre-painted job allows sometimes mm -hmm. um yeah. i think that that the tradition of like uh painting and creating collector sets of games for stuff that you really love and care about. I mean, chess is an, is a fantastic example of people putting their ingenuity and, uh, and creativity in just, into just the art of playing the game, right? What the pieces look like, the vast amount of craftsmanship put into all those sets. I think that transfers into other board games as well. I think people feel the same way about other games. Mm -hmm. Um, be that Moncala or or Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of where we live, right? Yeah. People who want who love to play and um, at the same time don't have the time to paint. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. I wanted to ask you about how you approach a new project when someone asks you, "Hey, I have this board game or whatever that I want painted." Um, how do you go through the decision-making process of, of what you're going to paint? Well, usually we, one of the first things that we ask is, do you have a specific color scheme in mind? Oh, yeah. You always yeah. have to ask at the beginning of commission what they want. Right? Yeah. Because, you know, sure, we could paint to box art, but if, but, you know, for like a war machine army, you know, painting to box art may not be the best idea. So we, right. yep. So we, so if they don't, they say, you know, I'll just go crazy with it. It's like, cool. So we usually find, you know, examples of other, other version, other examples that other people have painted. And yeah. we see, okay, what works, what doesn't. We look at the box art. We look at, um, it's interesting because that's not how I do it. <laughs> it's how you do it. Yeah. I look at, you know. Yeah, because you guys have two different styles, right? Two different approaches. Yeah, yeah. Amanda likes to to look at the proffered material, right? Which uh, mm -hmm. she has a dedication to basically look at other people's painted minis or variations of it for, for hours. Mm -hmm. For me personally, it's whatever. If I'm given carte blanche, um, if I'm given directions, I usually try and follow what I know about color theory, right? to pr produce something that's harmonious or gets the effect or emotion that I want to get across. Um, but if I'm given carte blanche, sometimes it's about chasing what I've seen other artists do in various mediums at any point in time. So for example, uh, I, I put up some examples in our, our Discord chat, right? Of um, a very lightly pink and yellow pastel mini. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because I, I, I'd, um, I have, I have it right here, Liz Boa, art from a board game designer called Ian O'Toole, who paints in very 
unusual light colors um, that you don't usually see in games of war or finance or anything like that. Yeah, because right? I mean, in game in game in like war games or big four X games, you know, the colors are usually pretty dark. Yeah. Very very intense and intense, and you know, they're kind of meant to put you actually in the scene. Whereas, yeah. you know, Lisboa, it's mostly like a theater of the mind type it's thing. It's part of it is a theater of the mind. Part of it is drawing on other art styles that are in sculpture and stuff like that. Um, so when I went to Italy and stuff like that, I saw colors like I saw in Lisboa, right? Um, when I saw friezes and sculptures in, in the Vatican, those are the colors they used bright um sky like almost and uh, uh less intense colors um so it's a combination of like that and nature and going out and seeing nature it may sound pretentious but i really don't think that miniatures art operates on that different a wavelength from regular art um i think that pop art uses a lot more popular images mm -hmm. but I do think that the inspirations can be the same and can be found anywhere. Um, but I like to look at, at other art, right? Stuff in my yeah. past that has an emotional significance to me, right? Um, yeah. So like uh, Lisboa is whatever I've been playing recently, or in one case, uh, I'm doing Kingdom Death. Um, I look at Hieronymus Bosch paintings because when I look at Kingdom Death miniatures, I see the same kind of uh, macabre figures um in there so i i kind of use the same color palette because it evokes the same feeling in me and stuff like mm -hmm. that um but amanda's is a lot more uh, uh scientific about it which <laughs> is an approach i also admire mm -hmm. um yeah but also speaks a little bit to your personalities right yeah 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 because yeah. 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 i was a um i was a creative writing student and a classic student at the university of victoria British Columbia and Canada. Um, so I spent all day looking at at um, black and red red fired pottery um, <laughs> and talking about that in my classics classes. My thesis was on African red slipwear in in uh, in uh, Roman Africa uh, and the comparison with mainland Italian uh, slipwear trends right it's a mouthful <laughs> but basically it just was a, a bunch of looking at pots and seeing whether or not their rims matched and stuff like that but um that art affected me um maybe it was inflicted on me uh depending on your perspective but yeah you know and and as a part of my major i did have to take some electives so i did take uh two parts out of a three-part uh art history course. Nice. And that kind of exposed, kind of enlarged my idea of what art could be. It exposes you to a lot of different influences, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. when you take on a commission, it's a really personal thing, really. Like, right. so it's not something that you can, some people have a process and I really, love those people who are just like, this is, this is a job, right? They show up like they would at a construction, they build something intense that'll, that'll stand time. Um, 
some people approach it like in my way, which is more of an art history approach. Some people um, approach it more as a scientific approach. For example, when painting skin tones, they actually talk about the dermis, subdermis. They, they talk about what you'd see in like an actual human anatomy mm -hmm. sense. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, all of these are valid ways of approaching Minnie's painting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I, I, for one, have been really enjoying this conversation. There's uh, there. I think we got to touch on a lot of different things. And like you said earlier, we can honestly have, have a very long conversation if we, if we so chose. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But I wanted to ask just about your, you personally, because um, I know when you have a business um, and the business is related to you, something that you're passionate about, sometimes you lose the passion for your personal projects. So I'd love to know uh, two things. Uh, one is um, what is one project that you're working on for yourself? And then two, um, what is one project that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Ooh, okay. We have a lot of projects. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> the one, so one that I'm working on for myself is actually a redo. Um, uh, yeah. I, about, right about the time when we started uh, Adventures in Painting, I painted up a, um, Lady Olinder model from Age of Sigmar. Yeah. And as and you know, at first I was okay with it. You know, I didn't feel like it was my best work, but I was all right. But as time went on, I grew less and less satisfied with it to the point where just a few days ago, I actually just caved and bought another mo Lady Olinder <laughs> model yeah. to paint up. Because yeah. I know now that I can do so much better. So that's kind of my pet project on my okay. table for right now. Uh, I My recent pet project is two things. Um, one, a team of snotlings for Blood Bowl. And we recently nice. bought a second season of Blood Bowl after having... Um, I love the setting. I've read novels in the setting and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. This was my first actual shot at like playing the game as it's meant to be played yes right hail niffle hail, uh, hail niffle yeah <laughs> um and i'm working on snotlings and i'm aware of their reputation as a team mm -hmm. but uh <laughs> i can't help but love that theme of just yeah. like the <laughs> the idea of of uh, 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 so many guys on the pitch that the rest lose count and they can break the rules. Like it speaks to that element of Blood Bowl to me, which is kind of uh, the parody of American football. Yes. Right. right. And and I have to say, I do love the video game version where you can just kind of yeet somebody across the field. Oh, but that's half the point of Blood Bowl is that it's uh, sometimes there's a ball, but most of the time it's just uh, Warhammer, <laughs> regular Warhammer on the field, right? Um, so. <laughs> One of my projects is uh, the Snotlings. Another one of my projects is my Gene Steeler Cult's Kill Team, though I pretty much finished that recently. Yep. What I'd say is like tabletop ready. Yep. Yeah. Um, I want to take, I actually did a bit of a rebuy too. Um, my wife worked on the Splintered Fang Warband. Mm -hmm. um, and we have like pretty much every Warband. Yep, for Warcry. 
um, but you worked on it as an experiment in contrast paints when they were first coming out. Yep, I did that particular, the particular warband. I did that all in con, mostly in contrast. And we actually recently just sold that, that warband. Yeah. For really nice profit. Um, so one of the things about, uh, the splintered fang band is that it's kind of done in the style of roman ratiares and glad gladiators um so what i would like to do is take a book out of sorry a page out of the um the book of like uh, a lot of soviet artists czech artists stuff like that okay. um and paint like a semi-photorealistic roman gladiatorial version of those splintered fang like a collision between um the history and the the myth of the actual Age of Sigmar. Because mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of really excellent Czech artists um, that do historical dioramas. Yes. Um, and, and some of their work is just so amazingly detailed. Like you get a, a sultan or something and the robe, like every inch of the robe is free, has great free-handed style um, done in the sort of Baroque, uh, the baroque stylings of that period mm -hmm. i like to do that with splintered fang if on a much reduced scale yes um so that's one of my projects that i'm taking on too so one thing i would like to work on would be bloodborne because I, I think i would that we would have a lot of fun with those models mm. they're so detailed they're grotesque they're creepy i love it that and i think that one of the most instructive uh, one of the most instructive projects that anybody can can take is um, trying to match the style of uh, something that isn't an existing mini. Mm -hmm. So um, for a board game, I think Quirky Circuits was one of them. Someone says, paint these minis for me, and their reference is drawn art only. No no existing, pre-existing minis or, or box art or something like that. Um, so you just have the minis and you're like, you have to paint them in the style of this two-dimensional drawing. Um, so what you you start to look at the drawing for is little, is the artist's color theory ideas of like what their decisions were. And you're kind of like a detective sort of um, moving in after the scene of the crime, so to speak, and piecing together how they made it. Um, so Bloodborne would be a great example of that because Bloodborne's art style is tremendous. Yes. And, yeah. you know, we did find copies of the Bloodborne art book, which yeah. is, which basically shows the art from directly from the video game. So rather than having mm -hmm. to look up stills for a reference piece, we can actually go to the book go to and the literally zoom in as close as we need to and see, okay, this piece of linen is this color so how am i going to make yeah. that transfer to so the like the color palette of there there's color correction um to create the illusion of color um of certain colors in not just in photography but also in drawn art so like okay. in bloodborne there is never actually a true white everything is like is basically shades of uh of gray. overlapping gray and at the very least you get at the very most you get an off-white like so that is a very deliberate decision and when you're painting a mini based on that style like you try and incorporate it or break those rules depending on what you want to get out of it um so being able to do what 
classical composers used to do back in the day, which is retranscribe existing pieces, right? Um, what classical composers would actually do is they'd take a piece by Vivaldi or by Bach and they'd just write it again, mm -hmm. right? And that process of rewriting it um, or transcribing it gives them insight into the decisions that were made in the piece itself, mm -hmm. right? Um, that you get to look behind the lens of the designer. Um, so yeah, that's what I think that is a great exercise for artists is just like take anything based on ex existing art that isn't Minnie's art and just try and take apart why the creative color decisions of like why those colors were chosen mm -hmm. and what it was trying to get across and what its influences were. Mm -hmm. Yep, and what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And what works on minis and what doesn't work on minis compared to those different forms, right? I like that. Yeah. Right. Well, I've I've enjoyed our conversation today. Um, yeah. Uh, and, thanks. Yeah. Um, it was it was everything that I thought it was going to be, and so that's good. Um, before <laughs> before I, I, I do, yeah, we, we we hit it all, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Before we do the closure, uh, do you have any questions? Anything for me? I, I realize I don't ever ask my guests if they have a question for me. You know, so uh, that—that's a really. I mean, uh, let's see. Well, now that, that forces us to switch gears a little bit. <laughs> Both of us are in exposition mode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How about uh, what's the? When did you first go to Rune and Board? up in portland because that's yep, kind of and it's well hillsborough yeah which to me is oh. part of portland, as, a know, as someone in salem yeah 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 um, they're like 30 minutes apart when did i first go there um i think it was relatively soon after they opened there was uh there was an article about them in the local paper here the hillsborough paper on oh, on it was online i didn't actually read the paper but um mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, a new game store. And I sort of always, whenever I travel, I, I always try to find the local game store and go in and, you know, and usually support, you know, mm -hmm. by a pot of paint or something at least, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then to find out that there was, you know, another game store relatively close to where I live sounded pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So when I first went in, um, it, it was only half the size that it is now. Mm -hmm. they didn't have that the other the other side of the building there and so yeah. it's been cool to see them be able to expand into that side and yeah be able to offer so much more it's it's great when you see uh yeah you, you always love to see the the place you go to get more space i think that yeah. that's the biggest reward yep. a long time customer can get is like they actually have so much stuff they needed to knock a wall out and then move it over oh yeah i i remember uh when uh, Wild Things, our local game store, used to be over near my dad's house in this little hole in the wall. <laughs> yeah. And now they've moved, you know, downtown off of Commercial Street and they have like two floors of yeah. space. Or like uh, the board game cafe in Victoria, British Columbia, where when I was going to university, there was a board game cafe opening up. And they just said, like, we we have so so many people are coming. We need to get more tables. So we're, we, we they bought the restaurant 
they bought out the restaurant next door and just basically took over the whole place and busy downtown area. So that must cost quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, it's always great when you get that feeling. So another question for you, if okay. you could combine a board game mechanism, like a really, something you haven't seen before and a war game mechanism, like what, which two would they be? Like, I'd say, like, an auction and, say, uh, uh, kill team's wound hit uh, save system or it's specialists or specialisms. Yeah. Can I cheat a little bit and instead <laughs> choose um, a, a role-playing mechanic? Yes. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that has always been intriguing to me is uh, – is the Savage Worlds exploding dice mechanic, mm -hmm. and yeah, and I, I wonder how that would look in, like, because a lot of times, so when we play war games, like miniature war games, you know, we, we you have two different sort of expectations. One of them, it, one expectation is a very chess-like, competitive, you know, fight for the objective, get all the points, and win. Yeah. Sort of. But then there are a whole host of other games that are rules light and advertise themselves as zany. And, you know, you mentioned Blood Bowl yeah. earlier today. And, oh, you know, God, yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the things I love about Frostgrave, too, is is how swingy it is. And yeah. now a lot of people don't like that, but I, I like that. I wonder yeah. if an exploding dice mechanic existed somewhere for some thing, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a certain type of weapon or something. Sometimes yeah. it's going to get big and sometimes it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah, it'd be great oh. if you had more risk reward. Let's not yeah. say like optional risk reward variants. Like one of the things I like in Blood Bowl Team Manager, which which is now out of print, unfortunately. Yep, but we still have our copy. um the Goblin team, true to form for their Blood Bowl counterparts. Um, they cheat a lot, and the cheat tokens can either get them called off the field or get them huge bonuses. But basically. You're rolling the dice every single time you put out a player. Um, and they're just like, there are other ones that are a lot more consistent, but there's a fun aspect to just that risk, high risk um, yeah. option, right? Yeah. So if you could, if you could have like a, a, a war machine faction whose weapons have a huge variance in hit and damage or hit, right? That'd be great. Like really swinging, exploding dice mechanisms where you can roll eight hits on one die that would be awesome mm -hmm. yeah um it all depends on what experience you want yeah so and that and that's the thing and that's why i play a variety of games is yeah. each one of them give me something a little bit different yeah. very very okay. few games are fully complete for me in terms yeah, of we, like what i want we have a literal wall of board yeah. games yeah. yeah, and well, and war games, and yeah, well, our war games take up a closet. <laughs> I think that again, that cross pollination is a huge part of what's making the market today. Is there's more of a, a a convergence of all these different forms of gaming than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah. I see board gamers picking up war games. I mm -hmm. see war gamers playing board games in their spare time. I see board game mechanisms wandering all the way into war games. I see apps coming into to board games and yeah. um like i remember game gollum arcana where it was played with that's scanning right. stuff 
yeah into yep. your into your phones it mm -hmm. didn't ultimately i think last but yeah. it did transfer to other games afterward like there were more yeah. games that was real cutting edge yeah 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 oh gosh almost yeah, like thinking. before it's time other games the detective game oh uh, oh right um chronicles of crime yes that one where you literally see the crime scene through the the eyes of your um uh, that's active and you also get to scan cards and that represent pieces of evidence i think if i were to say a thing i'd like to see in a war game is a a, a some sort of a way of determining points that isn't just like set by someone out of game right like i really like the idea of if you're playing for example uh, a war game based on the conquest of gaul that you have a part where Julius Caesar is in the Senate trying to raise troops, right? And then that determines the points they eventually take into the battle as opposed to just having someone say, take 2,000 points worth of units, right? Yeah. It, well, it sounds like what you want to play is, is campaign. Yeah, that's true. I and do. And a lot of, a lot of rule systems have campaign systems. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm actually talking about something more along the lines of like... Um, using some sort of more board gamery mini game to determine points, mm. right? Not just campaign style of like, this is how many points and depending on how many territories or thraldoms you conquer, um, like that is in, in Warcry and in 40K, it has the manufactorums and the area control there. Um, but it would be neat to have something that represented the more political side of a war game. Well. I'm gonna put a little plant of seed then. Time to write a game. There's yeah. time space, and and I feel like the industry is is growing. A lot of yeah. folks feel like maybe we might be on a bubble, on the edge of a bubble. But but I think if something truly unique were to come out, perhaps like what you're mentioning here, then uh, it'll find market. So yeah, saying no, I... whether or not they were on a bubble would require. Pro about two hours to talk about because like yeah, that's a whole other topic and we're gonna yeah. have to show that <laughs> maybe that'll be part two i think that that would be a great way to do like a, a board of like five people together yeah. you know like a have a panel discussion yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i like that. like that's that's something we're all talking about is like with stuff like uh, uh kickstarters hitting millions of dollars and people starting to complain about not having room for the minis that they produce and yeah. all the add-ons and stuff like that. I know that at least for our corner of the industry, that's a major concern. Yes. Yeah. And but also that project that overproduction of minis yeah. is kind of our bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that forms a lot of what um it forms a lot of our business. Yeah. Cause like we yeah. got uh a commission for Kingdom Death Monster a while back with all of its billions of minis. Yeah. We don't have to go into that today, like you mentioned. Yeah, of course. It's, uh, that's a, for another another topic. But mm -hmm. I personally, I want to thank you for being on today. Uh, I hope that all of our listeners uh, found it entertaining and informative um, mm -hmm. and thought-provoking. Um, mm -hmm. If you want to connect with Amanda and Sean, I want to encourage you to hop over to their website, adventuresinpainting.com, uh, and you'll find all kinds of information about what they're doing, what they're up to. 
They also happen to be in the Spellstorm miniature Discord. And yep. so if you are want to connect with what me and Dan and Chad are up to, you can join our Discord. You can find all the links for us at SpellstormMiniatures.com. Thank you very much for having us on. Yeah, um, thank it's you. It's been great. Last thing is that the website is a bit under construction. Yes. So it, but it, however, it does contain links to our Facebook and our Instagram, which yep. are much more fleshed out at this point. Yes, we are much easier to reach through those channels. So.